Welcome to a new episode of Tales from the Penny Bloods, a series of original radio play podcasts adapted from writings by 19th century British authors. This play, inspired by Edward Fitzball's 1826 nautical melodrama, The Flying Dutchman or The Phantom Ship, features laughs, romance, some supernatural goings-on, and even a little music. Those familiar with the story of the Flying Dutchman from listening to Richard Wagner's 1843 opera will find this quite different, though some believe it may have influenced that later work. Our cast features Summer Braley, Haley Carpenter, Phyllis Duncan, Dean Medic, Tim Shaw, Ron Smith, and Felina Van Leeuwen, with flute by Cheryl Medic. Our show was engineered and mixed by Raymond Mankey, and written and directed by Arnold Anthony Schmidt. And now, please enjoy The Flying Dutchman. Oh, all the money that e'er I spent, I spent it in good company. And all the harm that e'er I've done, alas, it was to none but me. So fill to me the parting glass. Good night and joy be with you all. Oh, all the comrades that e'er I've had are sorry for my going away. And all the sweethearts that e'er I've had Would wish me one more day to stay But since it falls unto my lot That I should rise and you should not I'll gently rise and I'll softly call Good night and joy be with you all. Good night and joy be with you all. The year was 1723. The ship was the Flying Dutchman, as fine a vessel as ever sailed from Amsterdam more than three centuries ago. The Dutchman traveled around the world, but mostly traded goods between Europe and South Africa. The ship had a reputation for speed, and its captain had the name of Vanderdecken. Now Vanderdecken had a wife named Lestel, whom he loved dearly, and who waited for him faithfully at home between his voyages. And the captain waited just as faithfully for her, using the ship's speed to shorten the journeys that kept them apart. He traveled fast, sailing rough seas and smooth, earning a fine living and the respect of his crew. There was more to Vanderdecken than first meets the eye, however. Though a good husband and a skilled mariner, 
he was not without his faults, chief among them his violent temper. Boastful and impatient, woe betide anything that stood in his way. Vanderdecken never heeded advice and never stopped pursuing his goal, no matter the cost. Though people looked at him askance when they heard him say it, he would always have his own way in spite of the devil. But the devil can prove a dangerous adversary. One day, the Flying Dutchman left port in South Africa, sailing on its way back to Amsterdam and home. The weather started out clear, but grew worse as the day went on, and finally the ship could make no progress at all against the terrible winds and enormous waves. As things worsened, Vanderdecken walked the deck swearing fearfully. A ship's officer asked if he planned to return to port to wait out the storm and sail in a few days in better weather. No, yelled Vanderdecken, adding a tremendous oath. I will not, though I should beat about sailing these waters until the day of judgment. Vanderdecken never did return to port, and many believe that even today he undergoes the doom he so desperately dared. Sailors still report seeing his vessel rounding the Cape during the fiercest storms. Our story begins 100 years later in the Devil's Cave, the haunted cavern of the evil sea goddess Recalda. She sits on a grotto throne, holding a trident wand and gazing with pride on the demonic sea creatures who swear allegiance to her. Sweetly sleep thou, silvery moon. Thy light is on the sea. The fragrant flower opens her lip and breathes a kiss to thee. Then here in many an antic form, in goblin mirth or glee, we'll weave tonight a mystic dance and breathe a kiss to thee. We'll weave tonight a mystic dance and breathe a kiss to thee. We'll weave tonight a mystic dance and breathe a kiss to thee. Roll the planets fly, clouds and darkness wrap the sky. This sudden discord, speak, unfold. Now comes the time when truth is told. A figure comes from far away across the storm tossed sea. So tall a man, both dark and strange, whose face I cannot see. But wait amid the thunderous clouds a flash of lightning shows The face of one so lost and proud whose oath cost pain below Illumined by the lightning's blast, tis Vanderdecken come at last! If so near, let him appear Vanderdecken, surrounded by blue fire, appears from the waves, his features pale and haggard. He advances toward Recalda, 
and bends his head in token of deep submission. Mighty spirit of the deep, behold me at thy feet. My century having expired, I come to claim its renewal according to thy promise. A hundred years have passed since I walked on dry land. During that time, I have sailed the sea, never reaching port. Let me please come more, revisit my native earth, and see again my dear wife, Lestelle. You know that many years have passed since your time on earth. The woman you loved has long since gone on. I know, but also know that the spirit of my love lives on. If only I could find her. Find her you might, but will she love you still? I can only hope, and if not, at least I might see her again. And if you find her, and she loves you not, can you control your terrible temper? The temper that led you to breathe your faithful oath and curse you to a life at sea, ever seeking love, never reaching port. I am a man of powerful desires and fearful urges that often control me more than I control them. Phantom of the waves, I understand. Now go, seek a bride to share thy stormy fate. If she signs Rockalda's faithful death book, she will be thine for your time on land. And accompany you when you return to sea and renew your everlasting journey. So there is hope? Hope that we may stay together and live and love as others? You are not like other men, Vanderdeck. And your oath has doomed you to a different fate from others. But yes, time together with your love I grant you, if you can make her love you. I will. Still, remember on earth, as the shadow of man is silent, so must thou be. Voice, I deny thee till thy return. Let me speak. Let me have my voice. You urge in vain the voice that breed your fearful oath I ever on earth forbid. Speak but once, and the charm is broken. You will return to the sea. I will control myself and remain silent. See that you do. And remember, when your time on earth has passed, with or without your beloved, you will return to your phantom ship, thy fate. Alone or together, lies floating on the stormy seas forever. I understand. For though on earth it seems that you are free, when time has come, I'll call you back to me. If speak but once on earth, then you beware. That instant I consign thee to despair. That instant ocean's flood will freeze like demon's blood. Just speak and you beware, consign it to despair. Now leave my presence and return with your beloved, who will sign my book and join my unholy company. Elated that he can return to the land of the living, if only for a short while, 
Vanderdecken walks away from the sea demon, climbing carefully up the narrow rocky path from the bottom of the cave to the heights of the seaside cliffs. Then, in a flash of light and smoke, he disappears into the waves. Another rough day at sea. Who knew it was so far from London to the Cape Colony? Seems like ages since we've been home. I miss home myself. And I can't wait to see me, dear Lucy. Mmm. Shepherd's pie. Oh, this is delicious. You say you miss your Lucy, but love for your beloved certainly hasn't curbed your appetite any. That's a fact. I love Lucy with all my heart. That's as it should be. And head. And stomach. But my stomach's always just a wee bit empty. Well, it gives me the feelings to see you eat so much. I've been seasick with the ship going up and down, port and larboard, and all that nautical nonsense. If you eat some of me shepherd's pie, you'd feel better. I don't think that would work for me. Everything upsets my stomach. I'm surprised eating so much doesn't upset your stomach as it would mine. That's because I've spent so many years sailing the seas. In fact, I was born aboard ship. Born on a ship? That's right. My family harks from Dublin. My father served as a sea captain and my mother sometimes accompanied him. Well, one thing led to another. My mother said no, I said yes, and there I was. She gave birth to me just amidships in the middle of the Atlantic. You don't say. No wonder you never stumble on board ship, no matter how violently it storms. That's right. I was born with me sea legs. I learned to crawl on a ship and walked on deck before I ever walked on land. Now pay attention and keep looking for land. Do you see anything in the telescope? Not yet. Nothing but a dark night. Wait. There. I think I see something. Where? I mean a telescope. There. Look for yourself. Don't be daft. You're looking through the wrong end. That's your thumb you're seeing. Oh, well, thank goodness. I was afraid we were about to be waylaid by a giant sea monster. But why are you going to the African coast, Peter? After all those years studying law in London. Well, an accident occurred that quite upset all my great plans. An accident? What accident? A letter from my dad. I am to be wed. Now who'd want to marry a lawyerly piece of work as you? Don't call me lawyerly, my friend, or I'll sue you. I'll sue you, I will. Like that. Faster than bribes pass through politicians' fingers. So who's your bride as is to be? That's the accidental part. I don't know her. Never met her. You haven't? No, she's the niece of an old shipmate of my father's. They decided long ago that she and I would be spliced, as they say, tied together in matrimony when we came of age. And now she's a woman. There's a handsome dowry, too. Ah, you greedy old sod. I'm not greedy. I love her just as much as if she was poor. Love her? How can you love her when you never even seen her? Oh, I've seen her. Got a locket right here for the picture. And besides, my grandmother always said, it's just as easy to fall in love with a rich girl as a poor one. That may be. 
But I love me Lucy in spite of her not being rich. But what's that over there? Seems like there's water and clouds rising all of a sudden. Yeah, I'll be damned. If that's what I think it is, you very well may be. I'm afraid we're about to have a visit. A visit? Out here? In the middle of the sea? Aye, a visit. Did you never hear of the Flying Dutchman? Vanderdecken, whose ship drives constantly against the wind. So what's so special about being a Dutchman? I'm a Dutchman, after all. Belay, belay. This is no ordinary Dutchman, but an apparition with a gang of devils who bring letters aboard honest men's ships. And where's the harm in that? Who doesn't love getting mail from home? No good comes from these. These are letters of the damned. Sent a hundred years ago and never delivered. And never will be delivered. Not without bad luck falling to anyone who receives them. Them as sent them have long since traveled to the grave. That's nonsense, you superstitious old wig block. But I can't stand here and argue with you. I'm not feeling well. Oh, I'm feeling very ill. Oh. Look! When lightning flashed against the sky, I thought I saw something. Oh dear, my stomach is heaving and peaching from morning to night. There! I saw him! It's a man overboard! Quick! Rope! Get a rope! Here, let me give you a hand. Dry him off and give him a blanket, why don't you? There, poor fellow. The crew gather around the unfortunate stranger whose life they've saved. They all know the danger that the sea poses to sailors and are happy to help another seaman, because someday they may need help themselves. The forsaken man groans as he becomes conscious of those around him, shaking off the cold water and trying to stand. He takes the blanket and starts to warm himself. At first, the half-drowned man seems to recover. Heaven help him. When the stranger hears the word heaven, he trembles as though struck by lightning and drops the blanket. With a flash of light and smoke, the man stands, revealing his identity. Vanderdecken! 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 And there he is, the Flying Dutchman himself, tall and worn, with long dark hair and a captain's cloak. Vanderdecken suddenly removes from his pocket a stack of letters. He offers the faded papers to the sailors, who recoil in horror. What's this? Letters to your friends back home? Letters from the dead. Forbidden to speak because of his oath to Recalder, Vanderdecken holds out the letters, offering them to the sailors. 
When they refuse to take them, he gestures, implying that they're not dangerous. But the crew knows better and fears his trickery. Vanderdecken takes one letter, tied with blue ribbon, kisses it, and weeps. He presses it to his breast, shows it to the crew, and then wildly breaks the green wax seal to open it. He holds it in front of Varnish, who reads it without touching the deadly paper. To Miss Lestelle Van Helm, who lives in the second street, stands in Yacht Key. Why, to my certain knowledge, no such person lives there today. That street was pulled down 60 years since, and a large church now stands in its place. Beg my books, what's that I hear? Miss Lestelle Van Helm? Why, that's my wife as is to be. I'm now going on purpose to marry her. It's not the same woman, you lawyerly lover. She may be a relative of your fiancé, but this woman lived and died a hundred years ago. Nonsense. Look here, here's my father's letter of introduction to her. Look here. There. You read. Let me see that. Vanderdecken, with a malicious smile, grabs von Brummel's letter, reads it with surprise, and tries to switch it for one of his own dead letters. As von Brummel reaches to take it, Varnish throws his arms around him and stops him. Belayder! Grab one of them bits of paper, and we sink like a shot into Davy Jones' locker. Oh, give me my letter! My father wrote that to introduce me to my fiancé! Don't touch that letter. And you, Vanderdecken, quit our ship. Peter von Brommel struggles to break free of the sailors holding him and tries to grab the letter. The sailors attempt to wrestle him to the deck, but to no avail. I will have my letter! As von Brommel attempts to snatch his letter, it explodes. A sailor moves to seize Vanderdecken, who eludes his grasp. Varnish draws his sword and advances toward the Flying Dutchman, who pulls out his own sword as they fight. The duel between Mortal and Phantom lasts but a moment, though. Suddenly, Vanderdecken vanishes right through the deck. Then, with a demonic laugh, (laughs) He reappears off the side of the boat, rising from the sea in blue fire amidst violent thunder. At that instant, his phantom ship appears in the distance. Look, there! It's the Flying Dutchman!
Inside the chamber of a lighthouse on the coast of South Africa, Lestelle Van Helm practices piano, while Lucy Jansen paces restlessly. Ancient tapestries hang on the stone-walled room, and a chill fills the air except near the large fire which burns brightly. The flickering light casts shadows around the room, but illuminates two large paintings on the far wall. One painting, bright and cheerful, shows a beautiful young maiden dressed in the pastoral clothes of a shepherdess. The woman looks amazingly like Lestelle. The second painting beside it shows a likeness of Captain Vanderdecken himself from days gone by. In the background, his three-masted sailing ship, the Flying Dutchman, makes its way across the sea. Estelle. That's so sad. Not sad, exactly. But you're so fretful too, Lucy. You've been pacing back and forth for an hour now. I feel quite troubled with the ennui, as Mr. Varnish calls it. Restless, discontented, or simply bored. Well, the day does drag on so. What time is it? It must be near the time when your lover sneaks to the lighthouse and hides behind the wall so he can whisper sweet nothings in your ear without your aunt seeing you two together. Oh, Lucy, how you talk. But listen. the sea. Only the sea. I don't hear his signal. No whistle. Alas, Lieutenant Mulberry. Ah, Lieutenant Mulberry is a charming gentleman. And his friend, Mr. Varnish, is also a charming gentleman. Oh, alas, dear, dear Mr. Varnish. So have you been poring over another of those horrible ghost stories? Gothic tales of witches in the supernatural? Oh, Lestelle, you know I can't resist reading them. But then you frighten yourself silly and have trouble sleeping at night. Yes, I confess. I have been perusing a story. I told you. But now, instead of reading a story, I've been composing one. A story that would read charmingly. Your own, for instance. Mine? Yes, truly. And I'm sure it would appear vastly interesting. We only want a ghostly specter to render it a perfect role. How you exaggerate! But no. Listen, when you were just a child, your uncle, Captain Peppercore, promised his friend, Captain Von Grommel, that you'd marry his son, a man you've never even seen. Tis sad, but true. Your uncle has since passed on, but now that you are come of age, your cruel guardian aunt, Martha, forbids you to meet any men because you're destined to marry Peter Von Brummel. A man expected any day now from the other side of the ocean. Oh, just the Tells me! A complete stranger! In the meantime, you have met a gallant officer, Lieutenant Melbury, whom you love. 
and who sneaks over to see you behind your aunt's back and steals your heart. Now, Lucy, did I ever confess that? No, but your eyes and your sighs are sad blabbers of secrets. But then your guardian finds out about your little attachment, locks you up, and forbids you to leave the house. True and sadder still. And now we're both of us stuck in this chamber, under lock and key. Yes, except that your lieutenant, like any true knight, only tarries in ambush until he can carry off his fair mistress, sail away with her to merry old England, and marry her. Now, how do you like my story? Quite well, especially the way it ends. But you have omitted a little subplot between yourself and a certain Mr. Toby Varnish. Me? Ah, Lucy, now pray don't blush. Aunt Martha! Listening at the door again, I say. Yes, yes. And what's this I hear? So you're plotting to escape with your lover, eh? You want to jump ship, eh? Want to desert and decamp from your fond old fool of a guardian? What's raised and educated you to be a gentlewoman? Fire and fury. What wind will blow next, I wonder? I'm ready to expire with vexation. My dear aunt, calm yourself. You mustn't get agitated. Who says I'm agitated? Feel my pulse. Count it. One, two, three, four, five. See, I'm as calm as the Dead Sea. And if I hadn't the mildest of tempers, as meek as a dove, and as gentle as a lamb, I'd take. But I won't say another word. Look at this key. Just look at it, I say. Lordy, ma'am, do you think she doesn't know a key when it's shown to her? She may. But does she know what it's for? Oh, Aunt Martha, you wouldn't. Not again. We've been locked in our quarters for so long now. I'll lock you both up. And neither of you shall be out of my sight until one of you is Mrs. Von Brummel. Von Brummel? What a name! Mrs. Von Brummel, that's your name as is to be. Many years ago, your uncle gave his word to the lad's father, his old messmate, that you should marry his boy. And when an old seaman like him gives his word, he sticks to it, to fire and water. But uncle is gone! And besides, what about love? Oh, love, bah! He gave his word, and I'll see that it's kept, Mrs. Von Brummel. Ah, I'll die a million times first. I will obey you in everything else. But in this one instance, which concerns the whole happiness of my life, I am resolved to follow the dictates of my own reason. Follow the dictates of your own reason? Follow the dictates of your own fiddly-dee. How could you say that, dear Aunt Martha? Don't, dear Aunt Martha, me. You shall follow the dictates of my reason and marry whom I say you'll marry, though the fellow's as ugly as a seahorse and as clumsy as a porpoise. Never! What? You want to cheat your old uncle out of his promise to his old friend, do you? You think I don't know that you've got a young lieutenant who's been wooing you? Me? Yes, you. Pretending to be taking an ever so casual walk through the garden and sitting against the back wall where you thought you've been out of sight. But not out of sight of my eyes. Spying? How could you? Easily. And I'm mighty glad that I did. 
I've got a little surprise for you. Last night, I saw two men hiding in the woods. That lieutenant of yours and his friend. Two men? It must be our lovers. My dear Varnish must have returned from London. Like as not, I watched them until the rain started. Then they went off. No wonder we didn't hear any whistles. I'll tell you plain. They shall never enter this house. Not on my watch. We'll never see them again. Oh, yes, you will. When I can introduce you as Mrs. Peter Von Brummel. Ah, this inhumanity is insupportable. You are not content since my poor mother's death with keeping me a prisoner in this gloomy lighthouse. Which everybody says is haunted by the Flying Dutchman. Haunted? And what are you afraid of? Afraid? I'm afraid of someone who visits every hundred years to carry off a poor young maiden to his den under the sea. I wish he'd come and carry you off, both of you. Then I should be rid of one plague at all events. Flying Dutchman, fiddly dee, I don't believe a word of it. Me neither, really. Except sometimes. Still, they tell me that the woman in that painting there was the Flying Dutchman's wife. No, my lieutenant admired that portrait of the angelic shepherdess. He said she looked exactly like me. She's related to you, after all, on your mother's side. That's going way back, of course. And then there's the other painting, a true portrait of Vanderdecken himself. Oh, how dreadful he looks. Fiddlesticks. Anyway... The old sea trunk under the window contains the clothes she used to wear. I thought that chest was just full of dusty old papers. Dear me, how I should love to see those beautiful dresses. Me too. No doubt, but that old chest has been in this lighthouse since time out of mine. I'd throw it out to the sea. But your mother, bless her soul, was a superstitious old noodle. Out of respect for her memory... I've left those clothes locked up where they are in that chest. And there they'll stay till doomsday for any curiosity of mine. It's coming on a rough night. You'd better turn in and go to bed. See, here's the key to this door, which I shall now lock on my way out. But I'm not sleepy. Well, then go to bed and lie awake. See if I care. And don't get any ideas about sneaking out. If you're going to escape now, it'll have to be through the keyhole. Oh no, how the thunder rolls. I wonder where Mowbray is now. And Varnish, poor fellow. I knew he was due to return any day now. And Aunt Martha saw them waiting. They must have tried to see us. But what's this? Just look at the picture of the Dutchman's wife. Oh, Lucy, we've studied those paintings a thousand times. Yes, but over here, written very small, it it has her name. Estelle, just like yours. I never noticed that before. And look at the date. 
It was painted exactly 100 years ago tonight. Come close and see. So it was. You remember the story. Once in a hundred years, the Dutchman returns to seek his bride. Now don't start, Lucy. There's nothing to be afraid of. Oh, you're right. Nothing at all. Unless you're afraid of being kidnapped by a ghostly sea captain and imprisoned among the undead for all eternity. Don't be ridiculous. Ridiculous? Say for yourself. Look at that painting of Captain Vanderdecken. See the eyes. Notice how they follow you when you move across the room, and see the ship in the background. When the moonlight shines on it, it looks like it's moving. Oh, it's haunted, I tell you, haunted! Lucy, now you're getting me scared. I'm starting to think I see the ghost of that flying Dutchman in every flash of lightning. That old Dutchman's not making his rounds tonight. I'm very much mistaken. While Aunt Martha schemes to imprison the women in the lighthouse, Mowbray and Varnish have a little scheme of their own. They plan to free their beloveds and elope with them to London. But as any lover will tell you, when it comes to romance, things do not always go according to plan. I don't understand it. We tied up the rowboat right here yesterday and now it's gone. It would have carried the four of us to town, but we could have bought a ship for England. Old dragon lady Aunt Lestelles must have had her servants untight and let it float away. Now what can we do? Mm-hmm. Varnish! I'm talking to you. What are you doing? Just a buyer and a fruit on these trees over there. We haven't had anything to eat since breakfast. And me stomach's going loop-de-loop. Ah, if you loved as I love, you wouldn't feel bodily hunger. Only hunger of the spirit, for the love of your life. But you, you've got no heart. No, I do not. My dearest Lucy has me heart. Ah, uh, but to what is your single suffering compared to my double one? You suffer only with love. I suffer with both love and hunger at the same time. You have only one appetite, for love. Well, I have two appetites, one for love, and another for food. Oh, poor stomach. Enough about your bloody stomach. What about the women? I'm sure I saw that tyrannical ant watching us the other night. How are we ever going to sneak them away now? Listen. The stale signal. Do you think she's telling us to come have something to eat? Ugh, you with your hunger. There, at the window. A light at her room. Any chance that light's from a fire-warming shepherd's pie? 
Yeah, that's her. Nice. Hot. Delicious pie. Pay attention! I'm sure that's Listelle at the lattice waving her handkerchief. But if she can't get out, and we can't get in, what can we do? Maybe we can go back to town and see if we can find something to eat. We'll think better after a nice supper. What? Return without Listelle? Never. I don't know how it is. With you, difficulty makes you want to act. With me, it brings a sort of I don't careishness. A kind of I want to go to sleepishness. Quiet. Someone's coming. From out of nowhere, Peter von Brummel appears, coming around a curve in the road. He carries a large bag over his shoulder and a paper in his hand. As he walks, he studies the paper. On it, he's written the words he'll say when he meets his fiancée for the first time, words he hopes will make her instantly fall in love with him. My dearest Lestelle, what a wide forehead you have. Even so, we've never met. I... But who's this? No, it can't be. It's that traveling busybody, the lawyerly Peter von Brommel. Lawyerly indeed. Why, it's Toby Varnish, the apothecary's boys that work down the street from me. Varnish? Do you know this stranger? He's no stranger. We just returned from London together. But we've known each other for years now. We shared a flat together in London, back when we were both young and foolish. That's right. While I cleaned medicine bottles for Dr. Dosum dead, Peter here went to university to study the legal system, to find out about the justice. And the cunning. Aye, the cunning of the law. The cunning comes naturally to me. But what are you doing out here by the lighthouse? Well, I told you on board that I'm going to be wed. Congratulations. That's why I'm here, to marry the niece of my old father's friend. A woman named Miss Listel van Helm. Listel? It can't be. Him marry Listel? She's my fiancée. Do you know her? Well, beg my books, but good luck to meet you both. Sure it is. But somehow, while I was memorizing what I was going to say to her when we met, I got turned around and, and, and lost my way. I say, what have you got in that bag of yours? You don't happen to have any food, do you? Barnish, how could you think about food at a time like this? No time like the present, eh? What's in there? What a cunning lawyer always likes to carry. What's that? A good suit. <laughs> Get it? A good suit. A lawsuit. With a sense of humor like that, it's hard to understand how you've remained a bachelor for so long. Yes, I know what you mean. Now look what I've got here. A change of clothes. Got to dress nice when I meet Miss Lister. Oh, what's this? Anything wrong? Yes, you know how the crew members were always playing jokes on me. <laughs> I'll say. Like the time the boatswain's monkey stole your breakfast. 
That's just feeding your porridge and running off with your bread. It's a little beast. Verzo's confounded soldiers have taken my brand new Sunday suit and switched it out for some old sailor's clothes. A worn-out jacket covered with tar and a torn-up pair of trousers. Look at that patch. And an old harmonica, no less. Give me that. Wait a minute. This gives me an idea. We can switch into Von Brummel's clothes. If Aunt Martha doesn't recognize us, maybe we can sneak into the lighthouse and see Listelle and Lucy. I think you've got something there. Well, this is terrible. I can't wear these old sailor's clothes. Maybe you can't, but I can. Give me those. I think they'll fit me about right. What else have you got there? Only this. Von Brummel reaches into his bag and pulls out an enormous bearskin, in one hand holding up a giant hairy head, and in the other hand, a wide expanse of mangy brown fur. I bought this while traveling. I plan to get it stuffed and give it to Lestelle as a wedding gift. She can stand it up in her bedchamber, and every morning when she sees it, she'll think of me. You certainly know how to please a woman. What can I say? I'm a true romantic. That'll work as a disguise. Varnish, here's the head. Put it on. What's this all about? Ah, nothing. A little joke we'll play on Lestelle when we introduce you. She'll love it. I see. Now, Varnish here will dress like a bear. And I'll dress as a poor sailor who earns a living with his dancing bear. And we'll take you to see Lestelle Van Helm. Oh, you fellows are a fine pair. If you helped the intended bridegroom of Miss Van Helm, I'll be internally grateful. From the bottom of my heart, I promise to help the cause of Miss Van Helm's lover. So will I. That's great, boys. Now, where do we find Miss Lister? The chamber of the lighthouse that night looked much as it did 100 years ago, though the wall hangings have perhaps faded a little and the Gothic furniture has gone out of style. Lucy admires the portrait of the shepherdess. Lestelle stares out the window to the sea. Against the back wall hangs the portrait of Captain Vanderdecken. Lucy goes to the table beneath the portrait and searches the drawers until she finds what she's looking for, a ring of keys. Maybe these will work. Oh, no luck. I've tried every key in the bunch and all to no purpose. If I thought your aunt wouldn't hear, this lock is in so old that I'd just smash it. Oh, you mustn't. She'd be so angry if you did. But to see the fine clothes, to try on the fashions from so long ago... How it would amuse us. No, no. I'm too worried about dear Mowbray to enjoy anything so frivolous. Oh, 
How provoking. Why, ladies, what's the matter with you? You shrieked as if you'd seen a ghost. Oh, my dear, I've never been so terrified. What? Another hobgoblin story, eh? It's like you're thinking the ship's picture hoisted sail because the moon happened to shine on it. Ha <laughs> ha nonsense! But away with all these moonshine fancies. He's come. <laughs> the dear boy, he's here. He who? Not the Flying Dutchman, I hope. No, no, the Walking Dutchman. <laughs> Here he is. Here comes young Peter von Brummel, as like his father as rain is to water. What's this? Trouble brewing. Aunt Martha has mistaken Vanderdecken for the fiancé that her late husband Captain Peppercall picked out for his niece. Welcome, my dear boy. How are you? Here's Letty. Here's your wife as is to be. Aunt Martha, please! Look at her. Isn't she a trim-built vessel from keel to topmast, eh? Nothing to say, eh? The strong, silent type? Well, perhaps you've had a rough voyage. You look as if you've been a little sickish. Vanderdecken realizes how awkward his silence makes him seem, but he has sworn an oath to Rokalda not to speak. What can he do? Then a thought strikes him. He picks up paper from the desk and writes a note. What's he writing? Let me see. He's got the strangest handwriting. Writes like my grandfather did a hundred years ago. Okay, let me see. If that's an R and that's a W, well... Aunt Martha, please! Oh, don't be impatient. Let's see. I was struck dumb by lightning on my passage hither. Poor fellow. I am assured that I shall recover my speech in a short time. Vanderdecken stands close to Lestelle and looks at the painting of his wife on the wall above the chest. How similar they look. It almost seems as though Lestelle is his lost wife, that her spirit has returned in the form of the very much alive Lestelle. He takes off his hat and bows to her. Again, his eye wanders from Lestelle to the painting of the shepherdess. You fancy there's a bit of a likeness between that old picture and my lady? Well, you may be right. Folks say that she was a distant relation. As they speak, Lucy glances from Vanderdecken to the painting of the Flying Dutchman on the wall. They're identical. She nudges Lestelle and points to the portrait. Speaking of likenesses, this young gentleman looks exactly like the man in the portrait of the Flying Dutchman on the other wall. Oh, you're right! Before Aunt Martha can turn to notice the similarity, Vanderdecken casts a spell and transforms the portrait of himself so that it resembles Peter von Brummel. Suddenly, the painting isn't the real Flying Dutchman at all. Ha <laughs> ha nonsense! That doesn't look a bit like him. Oh, but it did a second ago. And it's still what if Old Nick hadn't changed it this instant. Oh, you girls, the devil and Old Nick. Nonsense! Aunt Martha turns away, and behind her back, Vanderdecken gives Lestelle and Lucy an eerie smile. 
wish we could simply get away from here. Me too. Well, Mrs. Von Brummel, as it is to be, why don't you hoist your sail, open the window, and fly out to the Dutchman's ghost ship? You're kidding! But in a minute we'll smell brimstone and see his cloven hoof. Well, if you can't talk to get to know each other, why don't you go down the hall to the sitting room? You'll want to rest and clean up after your travels. There he goes. What a strange-looking man. Strange or not, he and Lestelle shall be spliced in the morning. Tomorrow? So soon? Aye, tomorrow. He's so silent, like a ghost. Oh, don't worry that he can't speak. The way you chatter, you'd never let him get a word in anyway. Hey, talkative? That's ridiculous. Why, just the other day I was telling the cook... Tell her anything you like. I'm going down to the kitchen to tell her to set an extra dinner plate for your fiancé. Oh, Listelle, what are we going to do? Never mind. Come and sit by me and we'll sing a ballad that my mother taught me when I was a child. They say it was her song, The Wife of Vanderdecken. Oh, all the money that e'er I spent, I spent it in good company. And all the harm that e'er I've done, alas, it was to none but me. Vanderdecken enters the room through a hidden panel in the wall, standing behind the women who cannot see him. As Lestelle and Lucy sing, he listens with increasing emotion to the sound of their voices. And all I've done for want of wit To memory now I can't recall So fill to me the parting glass Good night and joy be with you all That song, those words... It's almost as if he has been struck by a thunderbolt when he hears the women sing. The words bring back so many memories. He opens the wooden chest and looks at the dress inside, the beautiful dress worn by his long-lost Estelle. He lays his hand against his heart and turns, looking first at the shepherdess in the painting and then at the real-life Estelle, who looks just like her. A silent tear glistens in his eye as he admires her. As they finish the song, he's so moved that he accidentally drops the lid of the chest. It falls with a loud crash. <coughs> Vanderdecken hurries to hide, vanishing through the secret panel. Murder! Sure, that chest was locked a minute ago, and now it seems the lid has opened and slammed shut. Oh, my poor little heart, how it does beat! The noise gave me such a fright. I'm sure this place is haunted by old Nick and all his imps. And look at that curtain against the wall. It's moving, I tell you, it's moving. Oh, calm down, Lucy. It's just the wind. You wouldn't say that if you'd heard what the cook told me this morning after breakfast. And what was that? Pray tell. 
She says that down the coastline lies a hidden grotto called the Devil's Cave. And inside there's a magic book. Oh, I don't know how many hundreds of years old. And do you know, they say Vanda Decken's ghost will appear there and spirit away a young woman and set her name in that book. And when he does, the poor woman will never return. She belonged to Ricalda, the Hag of the Waters. What horrible story! I don't believe a word of it! Don't you? To be bound to the Flying Dutchman forever! To leave friends and family behind! To go far from home and live with the demons in the underworld! Oh, Lucy, stop! For heaven's sake! Ah! Aunt Martha? What are you both hysterical about? I'm just checking to see that the window doesn't let the rain in. Now, who can that be? But who's this? Why, none other than the chivalrous knights come to the rescue. The knocking at the door announces Lieutenant Mowbray disguised as an old sailor, Varnish dressed in the bear costume, and the real Peter von Brommel. Who are you, and what do you want here? Mowbray and Varnish are sneaking into the lighthouse in hopes of eloping with their beloveds, and von Brommel hopes to win the heart of his fiancée. Who knows if this harebrained scheme will bring any of them success? With three men seeking the affections of two women, something's bound to go wrong. At your service, ma'am. I hope you'll excuse a poor distressed seaman what's got no better means of a livelihood than by going house to house and showing off his poor train bear. That's the most pathetic-looking bear costume I've ever seen in my entire life. And you. I've seen you before, haven't I? Hanging around in the woods near the back fence? Not likely, ma'am. If you'll allow me to play some music, my pet bear Toby here will dance a jig and amuse the young ladies. Toby? Isn't that the name of someone special, Lucy? That's his name, all right. But he certainly looks better than that. And he smells better, too. Quiet down there, Toby. Now, ma'am, I'd like to introduce a friend who's traveled to meet you. It seems he's going to marry your niece. Oh, he is, is he? Pleased to meet you, ma'am. My name's Peter von Brummel. Another von Brummel? Another? We already have one von Brummel who just went down the hall to rest up from his travels. That can't be. I'm the son of Captain Peppercore's old friend, Captain von Brummel. I don't know about that. I've met the captain, and you don't look a bit like him. You needn't blow me up for that. That's my father's fault, not mine. What's that bear doing? Uh, he's dancing, ma'am. That's not like any dancing I've ever seen. More like crawling and scratching. My, he smells pungent, doesn't he? Oh, get away from me, you mangy cur. <laughs> I think he likes you, miss. He likes you in particular. Grr. Grr. Oh, what's luck? 
Notice the precision of his steps. See the excellence of his posture. Rubbish! When Aunt Martha turns away, Mowbray seizes his moment. He approaches Lestelle, moves forward to embrace her, and uses the opportunity to take her into his arms. Perhaps, ma'am, you'd permit me to show you the dance. Don't you touch me, sir. I never dance with strangers. Girls, girls. But you. Me? I have seen you somewhere before. Impossible, ma'am. I've just arrived. Well, if you are the son of old Foulweather von Brummel, prove it. You must have a letter of introduction. I'm afraid you'll have to take my word for it, ma'am. I've lost my letter when a fellow they called a Flying Dutchman appeared and caused all manner of disturbance. Oh, he did, did he? Something's fishy here. I smell a trick. That's no trick you smell. It's him. That stinky bear. Now let me think. Where have I seen that face before? Why, look! That's him over there! On the painting of the Dutchman! They turn to the painting and are astonished at the similarity. The spell Vanderdecken cast before leaving the room had changed the image in the painting to look exactly like Peter von Brummel. She's right. That's where I've seen you before. You're the Flying Dutchman. Ah! The Flying Dutchman! Me? I'm not the Flying Dutchman. He's after me. Get away from me, you smelly old bear. Stop following me. I'm not the Flying Dutchman. Everyone turns as suddenly the door opens and Vanderdecken steps into the room. He studies everyone, bowing to the ladies, and smiling at von Brommel and Varnish, who he recognizes from the ship. There he is! He's the Flying Dutchman! The room falls into confusion. Varnish and von Brommel rush toward the real Flying Dutchman, who easily slips out of their grasp. The others look at the painting which Vanderdecken has magically made to look like von Brommel. They think he's the cursed phantom. It's not! The Phantom! The Phantom! Chaos reigns. Mowbray, dressed as the dirty sailor, tries to grab hold of Lestelle. Varnish in the bear costume pursues Lucy. All the while, Aunt Martha grows madder and madder, and Vanderdecken looks on with a smile. Help! Madder! Save me from this filthy bear! Oh! Oh, Lucy, I can bear this no longer. Charmin' Lucy, behold at your feet. Varnish removes his bear's head and reveals his identity. Ah! It's me, dear Lucy. Toby Varnish, what are you doing in that bear costume? I've come to save you. Save her? Who are you villains? Pandemonium offers an opportunity to escape. Varnish grabs Lucy's hand and leads her out through the door while Mowbray removes his sailor's disguise and reveals himself to Lestelle. It's me, darling. What's this? It's me. Darling, it's you. We'd better get out of here. Not on my watch, you rogues. Mowbray grabs Lestelle and they also dash for the door. Aunt Martha is furious. She pursues the escaping lovers as they rush out. Come back here with my niece, 
and that duplicitous friend of hers. With everyone gone, Von Brummel stands alone in the room with Vanderdecken. They both look at the painting, which shows a portrait of Von Brummel in the guise of the Flying Dutchman. Vanderdecken turns around to face Von Brummel and smiles, then snaps his fingers. The image on the painting, which an instant ago looked like Von Brummel, once again shows the likeness of the real Flying Dutchman. Von Brommel turns again to face Vanderdecken, then with a scream, he flees. That painting! That painting! I'm getting out of here! Vanderdecken now stands alone in the room. With a wave of his hands, he disappears in a puff of smoke. Night has fallen. Outside the lighthouse, the wind blows and the moon peers in and out of the cloudy sky. Suddenly, Varnish and Lucy push open the lighthouse's heavy iron gate and rush outside. We're free! Yes, for now. But we've got to hide. Varnish and Lucy hurry into the garden beside the stone wall, concealing themselves in the bushes. A moment later, Mowbray and Lestelle follow right behind them. Darling! No time to talk! We mustn't wait or Aunt Martha will find us! This way! They run down the path toward the woods and hide themselves behind some stone outcroppings. Suddenly, Aunt Martha appears, furious at the lovers who have escaped her. Where are you, you miscreants? You can't get away from me! Aunt Martha looks to the right and the left, but sees nothing. Mowbray throws a stone in an effort to lead her astray. Think you fooled me, eh? I heard that! She pauses another moment, then hurries off on the path that leads to town. Finally, Von Brummel rushes out. Hey, don't leave me here alone! Where is everybody? Quiet, you fool! We're right beside you! And we are too. Varnish and Lucy come out from their hiding place behind the bushes. Mowbray and Lestelle appear from behind the rocks. Both pairs of lovers join Von Brummel in front of the lighthouse and plan their next moves. Thank goodness we're out of there. I'll say. You left me there. With that phantasm. Me? And I thought you loved me. Love you? I've never even met you. Still... My father's letter said... Calm down, Peter. We're safe now. Thank goodness I was able to rescue my adorable Lestelle. Your adorable Lestelle? She's my adorable Lestelle. At least we agree she's adorable. Certainly. And that she has excellent taste in men? Most assuredly. So you realize you don't stand a chance, right? I've a great mind to ask you to fight a duel. Only I'm afraid you'll agree. We've got to get away from here. Away! Yeah. I think if we head down the coast, we can find a ship to England. And there we can be married. If you'll have me. Why, darling, of course I'll have you. And what about us? Will you marry me? I will, my beloved. But first, you'll have to get out of that dreadful bear costume. It stinks to high heaven. What's for Saul's this marrying? What about me? 
I thought I was going to be married. I had a letter from my father and everything. I'm afraid you're out of luck, mate. Estelle, is that how you feel about it? Yes, it is, Peter. You're a very nice man, but I've been in love with Marbury ever since we met. Well, I guess I'll go to the village and prepare to head back home. Might as well get going while the going is good, as they say. Goodbye, Peter. No hard feelings, eh, mate? Give me regards to me old boss, Dr. Dropham Dead. I surely will. That's the last time I listened to my father. Thank goodness that's over. We're safe at last. Yes, let's go find our ship. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a cloud of smoke appears. From the middle of it comes Vanderdecken. He moves toward the others, raises his left hand, and prepares to cast a magic spell. Both Varnish and Mowbray draw their swords and rush to confront him, but he easily eludes them. Lestelle jumps back in fear, but Lucy picks up a large tree branch and threatens Vanderdecken. He easily moves out of the way and laughs. All four rush him again, but the Flying Dutchman snaps his fingers. The smoke grows larger, denser, darker. Mysterious vapors swirl around them until finally the clouds cover everyone in a misty air no human eye can penetrate. Estelle, where are you? I'm right here. I can't see you. Coming out of nowhere, Vanderdecken sneaks up beside Lestelle and places his hands on her shoulders. Suddenly she swoons. What's this? A frightful chill rushes through my veins. What's happening? I don't know. Suddenly I'm so cold, so tired. Maybe if I just lay down here and rest a little. Oh, Mowbray, I'm, I'm fainting, and I see that horrid spectre. Help me! Lestelle! Lestelle! In spite of the smoke that blinds the others, Vanderdecken can see clearly. And what he sees, or what he thinks he sees, is the love of his life. True, he's holding Lestelle, but in his mind's eye, he's seeing his long-lost wife. His imagination brings to life those special moments of love and happiness from so long ago. The Flying Dutchman's memories become real, more than real, as he looks at Lestelle but sees his lost wife. And then suddenly, in a flash, Vanderdecken picks up the fainting Lestelle into his arms and carries her off. When the ghostly cloud created by his magical spell clears, Lestelle is gone. Mowbray, Varnish, and Lucy lay semi-conscious on the ground. What's happened? Where did that demon make off to? 
Where's Listelle? He's taken her. But where? There can only be one place. To the Devil's Cave. This way. Follow me. rocky path runs down from the lighthouse toward the Devil's Cave. It skirts perilously close to the side of the cliff. Below lies an enormous precipice and at the bottom the threatening sea. The moon casts a flickering light through the clouds. Vanderdecken hurries along the dangerous path, carrying Lestelle in his arms. She struggles to free herself from his grasp but she's still groggy from the spell he cast upon her. When they reach the Devil's Cave, Vanderdecken stops and puts Lestelle gently on the ground. Mowbray, Varnish, and Lucy follow behind, moving as quickly as possible. When they approach the cave, however, they hear Lestelle's voice. Oh, please, let me go! Lestelle! Lestelle! Vanderdecken turns to see the others approach and confronts them. At first, he doesn't move. Then he smiles wickedly and, moving his hands, casts a spell on the rescuers. Let her go, you fiend! Please! Don't worry, Lestelle. We're coming! A dark cloud covers Mowbray, Varnish, and Lucy. This time, however, the effect is different. Instead of enveloping them in vapor, the Flying Dutchman casts a slow-motion spell. As they try to move, they find that they cannot. They're almost frozen in place like statues. What's happening? I can't move! I'm stuck! Me neither. It feels like me legs weigh a hundred stone. Like I'm walking in quicksand. Oh, Mulpray! Help me! Listel! We're coming! If only I could move me legs. As Mowbray, Varnish, and Lucy suffer under the effects of Vanderdecken's slow-motion spell, the Flying Dutchman seizes Listelle and hurries her away to the bottom of the Devil's Cave. There, Rokalda's demonic book awaits them. Suddenly, the moon comes out from behind the clouds and shines brightly on the roaring sea. Off the coast, Vanderdecken's phantom ship appears. That ship, it's the Flying Dutchman. It's come to take her away. We've got to stop him. Strange lights flash inside the Devil's Cave. Otherworldly crystals hang from the ceiling, and sinister sculptures decorate the walls. On her throne, the demonic Recalda reigns over her ghostly subjects, who sing her praises. And now tonight the time has come, no longer must we hide. Lost Vanderdecken comes at last and brings his newfound bride. Tonight she swears allegiance to my power. He may have her love, 
that I will have her soul. Once she signs her name in my forbidden book, no longer does she dwell on earth among the mortals. No! From then on, her home lies here among these forsaken beings who flit between this world and the next in the realm of the spirits. Please, let me go! Your subjects come at last, and soon she meets her doom. Unholy bonds will tie her fast. She joins us in eternal gloom. At last, Vanderdecken appears, leading Lestelle along the rugged trail. Slowly, carefully, he leads her down to the bottom of the cave. In the center of the cave floor sits a giant stone resembling an ancient altar. On top lies a giant book whose cover shows magical symbols. Whatever can this mean? What can you want from me? Vanderdecken picks up a torch to illuminate the demonic book and points to the forbidden symbols on its cover. He holds up a magic pen. Sign my existence away? Never! Vanderdecken becomes more and more angry. He takes her hand and as they approach the book, it flies open and displays supernatural hieroglyphics. Lestelle sinks to the base of the rock. No! Please, no! Lestelle, I'm here. You're safe. And you, wretch, tremble! As Lestelle looks on, Mowbray draws his sword and advances toward Vanderdecken. The demonic Dutchman also raises his sword, and the rivals fight for the fate of the fair maiden. Take that, Vanderdecken, you demon! Vanderdecken stands between Mowbray and Lestelle, keeping them apart. The poor woman struggles to slip past him, to stand beside her lover, but to no avail. Though Mowbray fights skillfully, his sword play proves no match for the Dutchman's. Suddenly, Vanderdecken raises the gleaming blade of his sword high over Mowbray's head and swings. But before it strikes, the stale picks up a large rock and brings it down on the Dutchman's head. The stone passes harmlessly through the ghostly body of the phantasmagoric Vanderdecken, but her attack momentarily catches him off guard. Surprised, Vanderdecken gives Lestelle a terrible look, and if, as the saying goes, looks could kill, the poor maiden would have fallen down dead. Instead, empowered by her attack, she returns his look and again rushes toward him. Let us go, you monster! Vanderdecken almost loses his temper, but struggles to control himself. He moves away from Lestelle, and advances toward Mowbray, who swings his sword again and again. The Dutchman easily eludes Mowbray's blows, magically disappearing on one side of the lieutenant and reappearing on the other. Suddenly, Lestelle has an idea. Lucy! Sing, Lucy, sing! And all I've done for want of wit to Good night and joy be with you all.
the beautiful song disarms Vanderdecken. At the sounds of their voices, his face softens, his eyes tear, and thoughts of his lost wife fill his head. Oh, all the comrades that e'er I've had are sorry for my going away. And all the sweethearts that e'er I've had would wish me one more day to stay. But since it falls unto And I'll softly call Good night and joy be with you all Good night and joy be with you all After listening for a moment, Mowbray grabs one of Lestelle's arms and tries to pull her free. The Dutchman recovers from his dreamlike state and grabs her other arm. The two men pull Estelle back and forth between them. Then Vanderdecken forgets his vow of silence and yells out. She's mine, mine alone. You can't take her. She's mine forever. Oh, no. What have I done? What's this? The spell has been broken? What indeed? Vanderdecken has violated the oath he made to Recalda, who allowed him power on land to pursue a bride, but only if he remained silent. Spoken. The spell is broken. I must return again to my phantom ship through the deep and howling waters. The victims of my love and fury, you will remain here trapped in the devil's cave until I return a hundred years hence. My magic will freeze you into statues, and you'll lie entombed here. Behold the book! Lestelle and Mowbray stare awestruck. In front of them stands an enormous book, its pages filled with images and hieroglyphics of forbidden text. There's something about it that draws them in. It's beautiful, captivating, hypnotic. Suddenly, the magic book glistens and iridescent flames burst out through an eerie cloud of smoke. Oh, Mowbray, what shall we do? Is there no hope? None. Cease thou this magic book. It marks thy fate. Nothing and no one can destroy it. Except one, a man born not to land like most mortals, but of the sea. Then we're lost? That's right. No one can set you free. For a hundred years you'll never hear the tread of a human footstep or the sound of a human voice, not even your own. How terrible! Not so fast, you demon. I can burn that book. Varnish! You... Burn the book? How?
Tis done. Tis done. What do you think of that? No! Impossible! Burnt the writings, old one. I am a sailor, son. I was born at sea, too! Curses! Malediction! Me father was a sea captain. My mother sailed alongside him. And I was born in the middle of an ocean storm. You have defeated me this time, but I'll return. Burst stormy clouds and rise, rise ye many waters of ocean. Recalda, I come. Vanderdecken rushes behind the stone table where the magic book now lies destroyed. The bottom of the cave opens and swallows him up. He and the altar disappear amidst thunder and flames. Lucy runs from her hiding place and holds Varnish. You vanquished him! We're free! Thank you, my friend. Let's go. And let's hurry. Can't wait to get out of this bear suit. It is just like crazy. hope you have enjoyed this episode of Tales from the Pennybloods, a series of radio play podcasts bringing you dramatizations of writings by 19th century British authors. This episode, The Flying Dutchman, featured Summer Braley as Ricalda, Haley Carpenter as Lucy, Phyllis Duncan as Aunt Martha, Felina Van Leeuwen as Estelle, Dean Medic as the narrator Anne Van Brommel, Tim Shaw as Mowbray and Varnish, and Ron Smith as Vanderdecken. Cheryl Medic played the flute. The show was recorded at the KCBP radio studio, Modesto, California, courtesy James Costello, general manager. The show was engineered and mixed by Raymond Menke and written by Arnold Anthony Schmidt, based on Edward Fitzball's 1826 nautical melodrama. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, you could follow Tales from the Pennybloods on Facebook, Instagram, Mastodon, or Twitter. And subscribe to hear upcoming podcasts at Spotify, YouTube, or on our website at www.talesfromthepennybloods.org. And if you've liked this show, please share it with your friends. Oh, all the money that I spent I spent it in good company, and all the harm that e'er I've done, alas, it was to none but me. Comrades, the
cards that e'er I've had Would wish me one more day to stay But since it falls unto my lot That I should rise and you should not I'll gently rise and I'll softly call Good